Welcome to the Andre Greipel episode of Sigma Sports Presents Matt Stevens Unplugged. Now, what can I tell you about Andre? Well, he's one of the most successful sprinters of the modern era. Now that he switched finish lines for town signs, we chat about that transition. We also talk about how he came to the decision to retire from the pro peloton, and his answer is actually pretty surprising and brutally honest. We chat about his future plans now that he's got some time on his hands and the freedom to partake in all kinds of dangerous activities. But what does he think about the miniature model village that recently opened up in his hometown of Rostock? And does he have any plans to visit? And what does the gorilla, that's his nickname, look like roaming around in that village? Can you imagine that? It'd be like a, a Rostock, slightly low-rent version of King Kong, but in colour, by the sea. Anyway, enough mind-wandering. It's time for the pod... No, it's that time again. Man steals Podcast. Andre Greipel has 22 Grand Tour stage victories in his Palmares and is one of the most successful sprinters of the modern era. He's ridden for some of the biggest World Tour teams, with most of his career highlights coming whilst in the colours of Amiga Farmer Lotto and then Lotto Belasol. He finished his career with Israel Startup Nation by riding the Munzlanduro as his final race. I spoke to Andre just a few short days after that very race and his retirement was still very fresh in his mind. Check it out. Well, Andre, firstly, um, thank you very much for joining us on the podcast on Matt Stevens Unplugged. It's a real pleasure to have you. Um, first and foremost, before we get into into the chat, can you kindly tell us where in the world you are and what you can see around you? Yeah, uh, thanks first of all for having me. Um, at the moment, I'm looking on the sea and seeing some kite surface uh, ripping it down on the Baltic Sea, going up and uh-huh. down. So I'm in the north of Germany, uh, close to the Baltic Sea. Very nice. So, this you're at home or you're on holiday? Is this where you live? Um, this is where I was born, so close to Rostock, but uh, the town is called Rerik. So, it's uh, really, uh, it's just the last uh, fisherman's town uh, in my area where I was born. Fantastic. Uh, they set the scene very, very nicely for us. I can just, what is it a cold day? I mean, it's pretty. It's a colder day here in in kind of on the on the edge of London. What's it, what's it like with you? Is it, is it is it kind of good to be indoors, or would you wish you're outdoors? Uh, for the moment, it would be nice to be outdoor. It's sunny, uh, of course, windy, but yeah, it's around 12, 13 degrees, so still still a decent uh, degree number uh, to have a to ever go outside. Wonderful, wonderful. Well, Andre. Um, Congratulations, firstly, um, on an amazing career. There's there's a lot to talk about. I've, I've no doubt. Well, I've I assume that you're maybe not tired about talking your, about your career because it was such a wonderfully long career. You've been such a respected rider in the peloton. But we're a couple of weeks away from your last race, the Sparkas and Munzlanduro, where you finished alone, top ten. It looked like a really really hard race. But how? How are you feeling now? Only, only a couple of weeks into your retirement. What, what's going? How is life in this? Um, how do you feel? Do you still feel very attached to pro cycling? Do you feel detached? What's, how do you feel right now? Um, first of all, I have to say that uh, cycling is my passion. And uh, I always uh, 
like to be attached to cycling. So for the moment, uh, for me, it feels like a normal off season. Let's say I was yeah. quite tired after my last race, so I was also happy to be <laughs> to be in the in the position now to have a little bit time off. And also uh, being able to reflect everything a little bit, uh, especially the last race uh, was a really emotional moment because uh, I, I didn't know what's going to be uh, the race like, uh, especially how my head going to feel like and uh, how the condition is. I mean, the condition wasn't at its, at its best anymore, but uh, I have to say before the race I was... Uh, really emotional uh, uh my last signing in i was nearly crying uh wow. but all these things uh you cannot cannot think about before uh, a day before two days before because you you don't know how you're gonna react and yeah. uh i mean cycling is my life and was my life uh now i have no number on my on my back anymore so <laughs> that's fine for me um so now it's 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 quite nice to uh, go on the bike and uh, look if the weather is okay and uh, ride your bike whenever you want to and as far as you want to. Yeah, it's a uh, you get it's strange. I mean, I've been retired a lot a lot longer than you, but you strangely retain the control of how you ride a bike because obviously to stay at the top level of elite sport, there's so many sacrifices to be made, and and as we know. Cycling is a beautiful sport, but it's a sport where we suffer so much. <laughs> Increasingly, as we get a little bit older, I guess, there's a lot more suffering. Um, but now you can just take your foot off the gas and, and become back in, like take back control of, of your riding, I guess. It's, it's, it's not about uh, control of riding. Um, I don't want to be controlled a uh, bike rider anymore. Uh, yeah. Let's say I just put my computer off. Uh, uh, when when I want to, and don't look at numbers anymore. So yeah. yesterday was a quite nice story. Uh, I just felt like I want want to ride my bike. Uh, it was sunny, so I I left my home, started to to meet friends, and uh, at the end of the day, I it was raining also, so it, the plan didn't work out to ride just in the sun. Yeah. Uh, but I came back with 140 kilometers and, uh, <laughs> and it's, uh, it was just pure fun. Uh, it's yeah. four and a half hours on the bike and meeting some friends, stopping at the bakery and, uh, not, not thinking about, oh, should I eat this cake or not? So I, I, I took directly two, uh, which is a quite, quite nice thing. Uh, <laughs> but on the other side, I have also, uh, uh, I mean, I don't want to be uh, a, a, an ex-pro and I also don't want to look like an ex-pro. I still want to be fit. I still want yeah. to be able to follow my training colleagues uh, on the bike and uh, joining them for a ride and uh, also uh, winning a couple of uh, signs uh, on the of road. Of course, so yeah. That's important. I mean, I, I, I never lost the passion uh, to race and also to ride the bike uh, it's just more about uh, yeah not making all the sacrifices and uh, thinking about cycling 24 7 of course it's uh, nice to get back and think about other things in life other things that uh, are, are important i mean andre 
you, just briefly back to the, the final race, how did you expect, I mean, you didn't know what to expect. It was emotional pinning that number. And as you said, for the last time, but what about your, your colleagues? I mean, there was a wonderful moment, um, obviously with your teammates, but then when you crossed the line, an old adversary, Mark Cavendish of yours gave you a hug as you crossed the line. It, it seemed very, very powerful. Um, were you surprised with the reception that you got from your, from your, from your, from your rivals? Um, I mean, I think I think I was uh, I was not making enemies throughout my career, so I always sure. tried to uh, be loyal to everyone. And of course, uh, uh, I'm I'm always good to talk to anyone. And yeah. uh, at this moment, when I crossed the line, I'm I'm honest that I didn't feel super. I was uh, quite emotional in that moment. Yeah. But uh, then I also wanted to to be a little a bit by myself. But then in the moment, uh, Mark came, and uh, yeah, so of course we gave a hug to each other, and I think this also shows the the way we respected each other, and also uh, that we kind of enjoyed to ride and uh, race against each other. And yeah, uh, yeah I mean. Mark is a, is, a, is a superstar in our sport and uh, also knows how to behave, let's say. And uh, of course, it was really nice to have this moment with him together. And uh, he he just told me that he was really honored to be at, at my last race. Even he was in much better shape than me. So uh, uh, for sure, cycling is not a it's it's not a, a birthday present. Uh, and also not at your last race and I didn't want to get any presents anyway sure, but sure. of course uh, by everyone uh, who who uh, gave me a hug or clapped hands with me uh, it's, it's just the way I felt with everyone in the bunch that uh, I always wanted to treat everyone the way I want to get treated by them so I think this is uh, a, a quite nice nice thing and that's the way to c- conduct yourself in life, isn't it? The way you conduct yourself in your profession is just it should be a mirror of of the way you want to be treated and treat other people in, in, in life. And uh, just just looking back on this particular season, your final season, you must be pretty satisfied with the way things went. I know you're a, you're a born winner. I mean, as a sprinter, you're you're paid to win, but you you know your consistency this year was was really good. You had two wins, you know, 20 top 10s through the year. So do you look back on this year thinking, yeah, I, you're 39 years of age, still super, super focused, still on occasion beating some of the young upcoming sprinters and some of the best in the world. How do you look back on this final season as a whole, given those victories? They must have been, I would imagine, very, very special wins for you. Mm, let's say I took, I took that last year uh, because in my head already it was... Uh, this scenario was was ready to to have this as my last year, sure. and uh, so. But I also wanted to make it as professional as possible. Yeah. And uh, I mean, we talked with the team together that uh, we wanted to try it another time to support me in the sprints. And uh, throughout the last two three years, I learned that uh, if you set your bar too high, it's also quite easy to. Uh, to not reach your goals and uh, also sure. being not happy, uh, not a happy bike ride anymore. So yeah. 
I just started the year uh, together with my teammates and I knew that the teammates going to be there to support me. So I just tried it like old school days, uh, just followed my teammates and tried to try to go from there and uh, not thinking about so many other things about goals or races I want to win or not. So it was a quite, quite nice uh, mindset, let's say. Yeah. But on the other side, when I won those two races, I'm honest that uh, these two wins, they didn't make so much with me. It, I, I, they didn't flash me at all. I mean, for sure, others were more happy than myself. But I, right. in, in this moment, I felt like that the decision I made already before was the right decision. And uh, okay. it's not that I didn't want to take cycling as professional as I wanted to. And it's also not that I didn't want to fight for any wins or anything anymore. It's just the feeling I had with these two wins. It was, it was just a normal feeling. And uh, I was happy, sure. of course, that I was back yeah. on this top. Uh, but I, I mean, I won so many other races. And uh, of course, then uh, when you have this feeling back after two or three years and it doesn't flash you as much as it was before, then I think it's already a good sign that uh, I'm on the right way to, to finish my career. That's a really, I, 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 Andre, I didn't expect you to say that. I, um, that's a really, gives a really interesting insight into your psychology. It was more just proof, I guess, of what you've done. You've, I mean, your, you know, your, your wins over the last year, I'm not even going to, you know, bother reading them out. We know that, you know, you've won stages in every Grand Tour, multiple stages in the Tour, Giro, Vuelta and everything else, you know. Um, but the fact that you didn't feel super excited by them, but you were kind of, I don't know, the sport was giving you something different. And um, that's a really noble way to, to kind of sum things up. I certainly didn't expect that result from you, uh, Andre. Now, Let's rewind a little, quite a long way. You're 39. Let's maybe rewind maybe, I don't know, 25, 25 years or so, I'm, I'm guessing now, uh, maybe a little bit more to your first memory of of riding a bike. Can you remember the, the first time you actually got on a bike as a kid and how old you were roughly? Do you have any kind of clear memories of that? Yeah, of course. Uh, I mean, my first bike, I think it was maybe three. Uh, right. And I, I remember that I was, of course, I was uh, proud uh, to be able to ride the bike. But on the other side, I was uh, totally angry because I had no brakes on the bike. It was a bit like, <laughs> like, like a track bike. Right. So, and, and my, my sister, I could remember that uh, she was able to turn the pedals backwards and I couldn't. So, actually, ah, I right. it was like a track bike. And, uh, but on the same time, I know that I was riding it a few times and then I directly went to a bigger bike because, uh, yeah, I wanted to have also the possibility to turn uh, a free uh, backwards. And uh, Okay, yeah. Yeah, this is what I remember first. <laughs> did you did you uh, race your sister? I remember racing my sister, actually, because my sister's a little bit younger than me, only two years. But when you're small, you know, the kind of age at that, that kind of thing doesn't matter. But uh, I remember racing my sister around the, around the little roads near my house. So did you, uh, did you, what was the first racing you got up to? Uh, as far as I know, I was uh, racing, not just on the bike. I was uh, running. I was uh, er everything we have done. I 
I wanted to have a competition right, uh, with right, my friends, okay. uh, of course, also with my sister. Uh, yeah, uh, actually, this is uh, the way uh, what was was connected to my life. Um, in the kindergarten, we always had to run up and down the road, and whoever was fastest, uh, I don't know what what we got, <laughs> but it was just every day uh, was nearly competition. And uh, I, I remember, remember that I even raced my father uh, to the kindergarten and uh, <laughs> took, took shortcuts, and he was looking for me. But I was already in the kindergarten, and uh, it's just uh, uh, always a nice thing to remember. And, and at what point then, Andre, did you really get in, into racing your bike? And, and at what point did you think, in your young mind, that you maybe wanted to turn professional? Um, when did that occur? When you were young? Uh, when I started, uh, when I picked up cycling. Uh, on a race bike, let's say I, I never thought about professional cycling. I mean, I I didn't even know that professional cycling exists. So sure, for me it was just about riding a, a, a race bike with a, also the the handlebars like a race bike. You know that that was for me the most special thing. And um, and when I I mean I was ten when I joined the club and I told my mother that I want to want to try this and uh, we came in October to this training uh, but as I'm with an East German trainer oh, he was uh, a quite good East German trainer and uh, it was really important in the winter times to be uh, athletics so we were running so I came there and uh, the trainer told me okay today is athletics uh, first of all, you run five laps around the 400-meter track. Okay. Uh, I was, of course, disappointed uh, not being able to race my bike. Um, but yeah, then we did this five laps, and I lapped everyone else of the club uh, by one lap. And my trainer was like, okay, good. Uh, you can come back next week, and then you're going to go on the bike. And this is what I remember first that I, I went on the bike, on a track bike, and I yeah, had to ride a kilometer on time. And okay. uh, in East Germany, this was always uh, the most important thing. If you get under two minutes, you have kind of talent, no matter age, what, what you wear. If you get over, under two minutes on the one kilometer, then you have talent and you can come back. And uh, I can't remember my time, of course. But I remember that I forgot to pedal and then I crashed on the track. So that's, uh, <laughs> oh, that's, man. that's a bit uh, the other, the, the other uh, side of uh, track bikes. But I, I never forgot to pedal anymore. That yeah, there's, it's we, we call that the experiential learning cycle. Uh, yeah, um, I remember it very well. It's something nobody really tells you. The bike tells you, doesn't it? And generally, it's because you crash or have a big shock. But that's, um, yeah, that that did make me smile. But um, I mean, as growing up in in, um, in East Germany, who, what, did you have any kind of people that inspired you? Was it your family? Was it people in in sport? Or was this, or were you self driven? Once you'd tasted what just riding a bike was like, and you know, I'd imagine the freedom it gives you as a kid. Um, what about the next step? Was there anybody that you kind of looked to that you wanted to emulate or be like, or were you just about being the best that you could be? 
let's say I was really self-driven. I was, uh, okay. yeah, I didn't have a real idol or, or something else. Of course, later in the time I had idols and uh, then of course it motivated you even more to, to go out there and train. Um, but yeah, uh, let's say we also haven't had the, the TV stations like, uh, like in East Germany. Uh, like in, in West Germany, of sure. course, from time to time, it got more and more. But uh, I mean, I think until 93, I didn't even know that uh, Tour de France exists. Uh, wow. And uh, then, but then when I wa- tried, started to watch it, uh, Olaf Ludwig was the guy I followed. I mean, he was uh, the German sprinter and uh, winning Green and Champs-Élysées and all this stuff. So, of course, uh, this brought a lot of uh, uh, spotlight uh, from him into into the German cycling world. Fantastic. Fun. Um, sorry, Andre, we've got um, a funny thing just... Uh, de- Random strange. question alert. Random wow. question alert. Random question alert. It is time for a random question. Um, sorry about that, Andre. Um, we have... Every now and again on my podcast, we have a. I have this big computer in my in my studio that kicks out a random question. So apologies for that. I've never seen this question before. Are you ready for a random question? Of course, I'm ready. Okay, right. Would you rather run a marathon backwards or ride Paris Roubaix on a unicycle? Uh, See, I've I've no control over these questions. I'm really sorry. Maybe this is the 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 barrier between the languages. What is a unibike? Uh, a unibike is a bicycle with one wheel. You know, like you see in a circus. I mean, I have no choice. I I, I can't ride ride a unibike. I, first, I have to learn it. But I think that's going to be a bigger challenge uh, than than running a marathon backwards. So I I take the marathon. You can take the marathon. Yeah, uh, I think I'd have to do that as well. Um, yeah, so, I, yeah, I can't ride a unicycle, let alone um, over cobbles. So I think I'd have to, I think I'd agree. Uh, yeah, but th- thank you for that. Um, random question, um, random question generator computer. Um, so, uh, Andre, I mean, you turned pro way back, um, way back in 2005, 2004, 18 seasons or so as a professional. I mean, what to you now? Um, are the biggest differences between when you first started out um, and the sport now? Because through this podcast, primarily, I've spoken to a lot of pros who have in their early thirties and their late in their twenties, not as experienced as you, but just in the last few years, have seen a massive shift in the way that um, professional, you know, professional riding is carried out. So, what for you has been the biggest difference over your your very long career? I mean, we we have to start with the material. I yeah. started being pro with an aluminium bike. So alloy sure. was uh, then the main fabric in, in cycling. Plus I just had a, a computer who told me how many kilometers I'm riding and how fast. Um, and then, you know, of course, uh, the difference started uh, when I became pro or when I turned with uh, T-Mobile into another world. Uh, everything was measured. Uh, we had the SRM uh, system, power sure. meter system, uh, full carbon bikes. And uh, later on, it started with a, with a 
electric shifting and yeah. um, and then of course it, it continued like this with uh, full carbon wheels uh, until now and uh, by saying this is just a material way but uh, I think the biggest the biggest effect in cycling is now the way uh, everybody knows cycling now uh, when sure. I turned pro nobody told me anything I just had to find out myself I needed to yeah. find out what should I eat what is good for me nobody told me because there was no real science behind it. and now yeah. uh, during the time every everything is totally tracked uh, you have to uh, show how much you sleep, uh, when you sleep, how much uh, kilojoules you burned, what do you eat. All this kind is measured and tracked. Um, so this is, I think, the, the biggest impact that uh, 17, 18 year, years uh, of age, all the riders, they know already cycling uh, the same like everybody else. It doesn't matter the difference between uh, the ages anymore. Plus, yeah. also the way uh, of tactics changed. Uh, now you have Veloview, you know every corner in cycling now, uh, all those spotters, they tell you when is the crosswind and all this stuff. And uh, nobody knew uh, when I turned pro. Uh, of course, if you, if you know the area, you knew when it's crosswind. But I mean, when I went to Belgium, I had no clue about the roads. So I just had to find out myself, okay, next time I know if we come on this road, I need it just to get to know the areas. And this is uh, all the things you had to learn yourself. And um, what about the, I mean, that, that's really really interesting insight i mean the development of the sport from um like an understanding of the sport there's so much open source information as you said and for younger riders coming through with a good coach even a a relatively modest team you know there's so many more people now coaching so there's a lot more opportunity to get the most out of people whereas as you said i guess it was a voyage of discovery in, in your kind of formative years but what about in particular andre the last maybe five or six years where we've seen this real shift in the way that there doesn't appear to be a hierarchy within the peloton anymore, and and, and some riders have said said there's a, a more of a, a little bit of a lack of respect, um, not so much off the bike, but within the peloton. It, is it? Did you feel it was more dangerous in, in the peloton now, or do you feel that's maybe just the way we look at it through social media? What's your experience as an extremely respected rider over the last few years, seeing these changes that we've seen in, in relation to speed and risk in the bunch? I think it has a, more, a lot to do with the changes of the generations now. Uh, a yeah. lot of older riders stopped and they are from suddenly there are so many young guys coming into cycling. Like all these juniors and uh, uh, they turn in pro uh, immediately. And uh, also, of course, one or two year under 23 riders are turning pro directly. So let's say the, young, the bunch got younger all these young guys they wanted to they they were i mean if you turn pro you were already quite successful in no matter what uh what uh, races you attend so i think they just wanted to uh, all these young guys they just want to go directly in the same things they did in the past and want to show how strong they are and yeah, uh, so yeah. of course uh by doing this and also uh by 
I mean, they are all strong riders. So I think all the level is uh, is just so compact at the moment that uh, it's you can't make the the difference anymore from from uh, from a team. Uh, of course, you sure. have the quick step team, uh, which is a pretty strong team. Of course, maybe they can still make the difference in the league out, but uh, mostly you see a lot of other teams next to each other and making dragster races next to each other. And uh, yeah, I mean the the road has just a, a, a is just on a on a certain certain size, and uh, when you when everybody is riding to a corner and still riding next to each other. Everybody knows uh, when you break it the last, uh, for sure, you're also going to lose a lot of positions. And uh, I think crashes anyway, we're always involved in cycling and it's part of our game. Um, yeah. But I think by having this compact, more compact levels at the moment, I think it, it just, uh, yeah, of course, you also have to sometimes break a little bit later but uh, still in a respect way, uh, I would say. So I think it's just, it's just part of cycling at the moment that everybody anyway has to, has to uh, calculate how much risk they want to take or not. But still, sure. I think the young guys are a little bit more, uh, more respect, or not, not as respectful as uh, uh, the older generations, let's say. Sure. It's, um, it is fascinating to, to see. I mean, for, for the spectators, for the audience, we, as you know, we've got uh, m part of my job is commentating on bike racing. I mean, it seems to, there's a lot more racing that's visible to us. Um, and, and what about the kind of unpredictable nature of racing now as well? There's the higher risk, which is quite clear, but it seems as if there's less formula to racing. I mean, um, there's always been a certain formula that doesn't make races, racing necessarily any more less exciting. But recently, the um, the rule book seems to have been written up in relation to the way that the racing the races are evolving tactically as well. Yeah, but I think it it comes back to this uh, generation changes. So all these young guys, uh, they they are used to race like uh, like the juniors. They it's it's from the from the gun full gas, and I think this is uh, reflecting to our sports now as well. I mean, uh, the, the the best example is the World Championships. I mean, uh, it was the most exciting yeah. World Championships I've ever seen, and yeah. uh, they raced flat out uh, the last 190 kilometers, and uh, that shows I think uh, how much cycling changed that that uh, really just the strongest uh, going to survive. And, uh, yeah. It's, of course, nice to watch on TV, uh, but when you're <laughs> into the race, uh, it's not that funny uh, anymore. Yeah. No, no, I completely, completely appreciate that, Andre. Well, um, now you were obviously brought, you mentioned the top um, where, where you are now and just up the road is, is Rostock, where you, um, where you were brought up, where you were born. Um, now, most of my new podcast now, I have a quiz. Okay, so I have a little quiz coming up now. So play the jingle, Nile. It's time for the Rostock quiz. The Rostock quiz. The, 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 the Rostock quiz. Now it's time for the Rostock quiz, which is locally pronounced Rostock. <laughs> 
<laughs> there we go. Um, a very well put together jingle from our producer there, um, Andre. So, uh, yes, are you ready? And I mean, what's your knowledge like on Rostock? Have you, um, are you pretty, pretty good? Um, let's say I'm, I'm still connected to the city, uh, but I'm 16 years not living there anymore. So, uh, okay, right. Let's okay. See. Let's see. Okay, righty-ho. Well, there's four questions, Andre, um, but I've made it a little bit easier for you because they're all multiple choice, okay? okay. So you'll have okay. – I'll give you the question. You have four answers to choose from. One of them's the right one, okay? So question number one on the Rostock quiz. Right. Andre, what mythical creature features or is drawn onto the Rostock coat of arms and the flag – which is blue, silver, and red. Okay, so there's an animal on the coat of arms of Rostock. Okay, what animal is it? Is it an Amarok, which is a giant wolf? Okay, mm-hmm. is it a phoenix, which of course is the firebird? Is it a griffin, which is a creature with the body and legs of a lion and the head and wings of an eagle? Or is it the Pegasus, a winged horse? Can you remember? Uh, I think it must be the the, the eagle. The the, uh, the the wings and so the, the griffin with 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 the, with the wings. Either it's the firebird or the the griffin. It must be. It, it is the it's the griffin. Correct. Nice one, mate. Good, good, good knowledge. Um, there's not a lot of people uh, that, that know about the coat of arms of their city. So, yep, uh, you got a, a big point there, uh, Andre. So, very good start, 100%. Um, next up is a sport question. Okay, so question number two. What is the name of Rostock's ice hockey team? Okay, is it the Seawolves Rostock, the Sharks Rostock, the Tigers Rostock, or the Piranhas, Rostock? It's the Seawolves. It's the Piranhas. It's the... (laughs) That's the latest one. Okay, but the... They had two... They've got two Ah, teams. Ah, you pronounce it different. The Piranhas, it's called. The Piranhas, yeah, sorry, Ah, yeah. Yeah, that's uh, the communication problem. But, uh, I mean... Uh, when I was uh, living in Rostock, they were called totally different, but I, I wouldn't get it wrong, right correctly anyway, so that's fine. Well, I've learned how to pronounce piranhas as well in German, so apologies okay. for the mispronunciation, my, my very bad mispronunciation. Um, so we'll, um, we'll, give you, we'll give you a point for that one anyway, Andre, because of my mispronunciation. No, 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 no so another point. I, I wouldn't, uh, I so- <laughs> would take the seawalls anyway. Okay, fair enough, okay. Right, question number three. Now, in Rostock, it has a very famous model village, so a tiny little village that visitors can come and see, um, which has 80 scale models featuring Rostock's famous sites, okay? So um, um, a a mini village in Rostock for tourists to come and see. What is its name? Okay, is it Tinyland MV, Miniland MV, Microland MV or Little Land MV? I never heard about anything like this before. <laughs> so. so, if you go to Rostock uh, on your bike, uh, travel into Rostock and you can go to this place and you can see Rostock in miniature, Andre. Yeah, I, I, I know it's, uh, I even know where it is, and uh, but I ah. have, have no idea how, how you say it. 
So I got a mini uh, Rostock. What was okay. it? Mini, mini Miniland. Miniland. I, I take it that, Miniland. Correct. It is Miniland. It's not Tinyland. It's not Microland. It's not Little Land. It is indeed Miniland. Sorry, well, this is this yes, is good. Good quizzing. Lot of luck. Lot of luck. <laughs> there, mate. No worries. Okay. Right. The University of Rostock was founded way back, Andre, in 1419. So well over nearly 600 or 600 years old, making it the oldest and largest university in continental Europe and the Baltic Sea area. But, Andre, what is its motto? So what is it saying? Okay. Um, Is it A, tradition and innovation? B, innovation, hope and prosperity? C, tradition, life and learning? Or D, learning and tradition? Okay. Uh, Did you study... Uh, um, but I would say learning and tradition. I've made that one up. It's tradition and innovation, I'm afraid, on the way. But still, you got 75%. I think that deserves a round of applause uh, from our studio audience. So, you know, that's a pretty strong, well above average, um, although we've not, I don't think we've ever kept the scores on the, uh, on, the, on the quizzes. But well done, that's 75%. Uh, do you feel you've learned something from that quiz? Let's say uh, I have to be a bit more open-minded and open-eyed uh, when I run uh, through Rostock now. Great stuff, mate. And and if you do go to Miniland in Rostock, please be sure to send us some photographs or at least put it on your Instagram. I'd love to see you as, as big and as as you are next to some mini sites of Rostock. That'd be quite a good little bit of social media, if you ask okay. me. Okay, they're going to be, they're going to happen soon. <laughs> good stuff, good stuff. Um... To tell me about your book, it's called Aus dem Windschatten, which means out of the slipstream. How long has this been a, a project for? Um, I think uh, we started back uh, last year, just after Christmas. That's the first mm. time we, we started. And yeah, I mean, uh, I, I kind of had something in my mind to... So if, if somebody is interested to say something about my career and I had uh, a little bit multiple ways to say it uh, to the audience, let's say, first I wanted to make a podcast and um, then it came up, uh, why not writing a book? And uh, yeah, so we make, made this happen. I mean, I never thought about uh, writing a book, um, but yeah, I think uh, it was a, quite of a long long way but i'm pretty happy that today it's actually released the 12th of october wow, um, okay. uh, I'm, i really hope so that it's going to be also in english but it's a little bit uh, strange when uh, you first have to show that it's uh, successful here in germany then you get the license for for the english version so let's hope uh, it's going to happen also in english Definitely. Well, I'll definitely give it a read if it is, if it is, uh, well, best of luck with the book. But what does, I know it sounds kind of obvious, it's called Out of the Slipstream, obviously in reference to you coming out of the lead out trainer from a sprinting perspective. But is the book very broad? Does it go back to your early life um, growing up or does it focus on your pro days? What Give us a flavor, uh, Andre, of what the book's about in particular. 
Um, it starts from zero. So uh, okay. when okay. I was born, the way I grew up, the way uh, I, I started to know cycling. So really from the basics uh, until, yeah, let's say the end. So the end is uh, the last day on the Champs-Élysées this year. Um, yep. So everything is included. And um, yeah, it's a lot of things to say. In, in this book, also uh, going through the bad times during all these uh, these difficult times when uh, there were a lot of uh, positive riders and a lot of uh, doping was involved in cycling. And, uh, sure, yeah, it wasn't easy in my generation to to grow up in in this uh, surrounding. Yeah, totally, totally. I mean, uh, I hope that book goes well. I mean, you mentioned um, about should you do a podcast should you do a book you decided on a book uh, which is published today brilliant if you had a podcast then andre what would you call it oh, i mean i didn't think about it uh, i'm just interested because i i and i what kind of what would it, what would you want to talk about on the andre greipel podcast would it be just cycling or would you want to kind of veer off into other areas and talk more broadly about life yeah, I think it's, it's. Uh, I mean, of course, cycling work is their own world, let's say. But I think uh, if I would make a podcast, I would uh, uh, give a chance to anyone who wants to wants to say something. Uh, everybody, everybody needs to have the chance to get into my podcast. So I would keep it quite basic. Uh, of course, sport, sports will be always a big topic uh, or would be a big topic. But of course. The name about it, I don't know. I think I would call it uh, just about the passion or something like that. Okay, okay. I mean, just on that note, I mean, talking, obviously, I mean, the, this podcast is primarily, obviously, it's about cycling. It's what I've, it's what I, the industry I love, but also there's a lot of other things in life, especially when you've retired that you can open your eyes to and dedicate yourself to. So what outside of cycling interests you the most what other passions or if if what other passions do you have in life that you're looking forward to doing more of outside of uh, outside of riding well, there are so many things i would like to do uh, yeah uh, i would like to make uh, more uh, alpine skiing um, okay and uh, yeah also a little bit uh, Going back on the on the sea, uh, making more kiting or windsurfing, all this stuff. Uh, so it's always a kind of sport where you can injure yourself. Um, so it was not not the moment to do it anymore. Sure, sure. I mean, just briefly. Um, I know this is going like backwards and forwards a little bit, but um, when you look back on your on your career. Um, with so many victories. I mean, we'd need another podcast just to list them all because it's so many. But is there a particular race um, win or or a particular result that has made you, given you the most satisfaction? Uh, I would imagine it's going to be hard to pick, but is there a moment in your career that, or a particular couple of moments in your career that you've thought, yeah, I feel really good about this? Um, but I, I guess it might not even be a win. It doesn't always have to be a win. But is there a moment you can pull out that you're the most proud of? Um, let's say, uh, of course, I, I mean, the first to the France stage win was uh, super special. Um, sure. But on the same to the France, um, <coughs> sorry, on the first day uh, when Philippe Gilbert, uh 
crossed the finish line first and got the yellow jersey into into our team. Uh, this was what I remember the most uh, uh, catching thing I had in cycling. That when when I look back to this moment, it was really everything came together on this day. I won. I it was my first Tour de France. I crashed uh, kilometer minus six, and I was hanging yeah. kilometer zero on the doctor's car, already full bandage, and uh, I still could make a full lead out for for Phil until that last climb and then we had the yellow jersey uh, in our team it was uh, just totally surreal and this was also the first moment when i crossed crossed the finish line with goosebumps um and then i really had the feeling that that uh yeah okay now you're on the big tribune in in the tour de france this is what you always dreamed of and to have your first ever tour de france stage in this way i think was uh uh, a super nice thing and uh, also something I always remember. That's a, a really generous thing to say, of course. I'm just looking at the results. We've got obviously access to these things at our fingertips these days. It was, it was to Mont des Alouettes Les Herbiers, wasn't it? Um, where he uh, he basically, was a, it was a group sprint, but he, he broke away on his own and, and won. And then, um, yeah, 10 days later, or 10 stages, uh, nine stages later, you won into Carmo. Um, I mean, I, we talk a, a lot in um, in terms of teams where success breeds success. I mean, um, having that yellow jersey in the, in the team so early on and then you winning a stage. I mean, um, just while we're talking about that particular edition of the Tour de France, can you remember the – I'd imagine you can remember a lot of detail about that stage win. This is the one in Canot. Yes. Um, yeah, let's say um, it wasn't – Pretty unexpected uh, win, let's say. Uh, the stage was uh, uh, was of course like a connection stage, let's say. But uh, yeah. 25 kilometers to go or 22 to go, there was a quite quite hard climb. And uh, the tactic of the team was uh, to to uh, to help uh, Gilbert, of course, to to get another chance for a stage win. So yeah, we put him in position, and uh, he we, he went in the attack, and uh, I somehow could manage to get over the climb. Uh, other a lot of other sprinters not, but I made it over, and I think the group was quite small as well, maybe seventy riders, sixty something like that. And yeah, uh, somehow then I was uh, finding myself on the back of uh, Kev. And uh, yeah. could 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 pass him and uh, get my first Tour de France stage win, which was uh, of course uh, a really a really nice thing. And uh, yeah, everything uh, what what you were riding for and dreamed of uh, came together on this point. Of course, that was the first of eleven wins. I mean, that's a lovely way to describe it, especially um, as to a degree there was another plan, but you managed to to haul yourself over that that that, that climb. That that is wonderful. I mean, um, uh, what are your future plans now, Andre? I know you've got you've got the book out. I was look, interestingly looking on your social media um, earlier today, and I noticed that there's you've just completed making a documentary. Just talk to me a little bit about uh, this documentary. Was it just for the last year or of your career or when did that come about and when when can we expect to see that? Well, let's say this this is the same moment where I wanted to decide if I do the podcast or I write the book. 
and then okay. <laughs> somehow, uh, uh, yeah, there was uh, somebody coming up and uh, asked me, oh, if I'm interested to do a documentary about it about me, and uh, then of course I had in my mind that uh, I, I possibly gonna quit cycling end of the year, so I thought this is also a good option. Uh, to reflect my career uh, when I'm a bit older, that I have something to show. So it's it's all about my last year, the way I, I see cycling and also uh, uh, what part my family uh, plays in, in this whole game. And uh, yeah, yeah, we had the last Saturday, the last, uh, last uh, filming made. And uh, yeah, let's say there was already the documentary out last stage of the Tour de France this year okay. uh, but now it's it's a, a little bit of uh, more coming um, my last race and uh, it's it's coming out on Sunday so it's a really nice thing to reflect uh, the last year of my career that's uh, that, that's really cool and of course you know a career so decorated and so memorable and your rider that's respected so much I mean obviously your current team Israel startup startup nation this one of the but your bike sponsors factor they, they've given you a custom bike haven't they um with um, the, your gorilla logo on drawn by a friend of mine carl kapinski who's actually been a guest on the podcast that must have been really nice to take in delivery of this custom of this custom bike which uh, no doubt you're going to keep hold of yeah i mean i didn't know anything about it of course and uh yeah i mean I'm, i feel just uh, quite honored and uh, to and humbled as well to to get a bike like this uh, with with all my races I've won and it's on the down tube. <coughs> yeah. Sorry, and also uh, all the jerseys I've won uh, throughout my career and uh, it's just the way when I, when I ride my bike now and I, I look on all these uh, jerseys, it's uh, yeah sometimes feels a bit unreal that. Uh, I really want that much, and uh, I mean the whole down tube is full, so uh, <laughs> it's uh, there to. I mean, it's just just a really nice thing that uh, I can uh, transmit uh, my my passion for cycling, uh, and it's all connected on one bike. Um, so I hope I can ride my bike, hopefully just in the sun now, that uh, I keep it as good as it is now. Uh, I was just about to ask you that a bike like that, you've just got to keep for the nice weather, for the nice cafe rides, haven't you? And uh, maybe a few little sprints, as you say, for the town signs. What, what, what's the the favourite town sign that you guys sprint for when you're out? Is it um, is it a particular local one? Which is the one that you really like to try and win if you can? Uh, <laughs> there are a few, um, but we always have a. Uh, a group uh, which goes out for training on every Tuesday, Thursday, and also on the weekend. And they always, let's say, uh, after half of the lap, they uh, rotate for 20 kilometers. And at the end of sure. the 20 kilometers is a, is a bridge and everybody is sprinting for this. And uh, yeah, from time to time we join this group and then uh, we go full for it. It's like a, it's like a bad sprint. <laughs> Uh, and uh, you also feel a little bit uh, uh, nervous, like in in a normal race as well. Uh, so this is a uh, this is a real uh, good spring. 
Brilliant stuff, brilliant stuff. Well, well, Andre, last last question. It's been a pleasure talking to you, and um, I really do appreciate your time. I know you're as it, it's only what is it ten days actually into your retirement, so um, I do appreciate you taking the time to speak to us. But what about the future? Have you had a t- have you had time to plan? Are you just going to enjoy some time off? What do you want to do in in the future? I mean, you're only thirty nine after all. You've got the rest of your life ahead of you, you know. So we've not even touched forty yet. So you must be quite excited, I guess, about the future. Um, let's say for sure, uh, being a pro cyclist is a, is a privilege I had, uh, the last 17 years. Um, and I know that, uh, maybe in my life, I will never find something like this anymore that I was as good as I was as a pro rider. So still, I, I could gain a lot of experience and, uh, I would really like to to share this experience with uh, younger riders uh, and uh, also try to help talents to uh, grow into cycling and uh, and also follow their own uh, perspective, uh, which is quite important in my point of view. But sure. um, this is what I would like to do, and um, also uh, with Factor Bikes, I'm. Uh, I'm still connected to the bunch uh, and also to the team and help them to, to test material and uh, also uh, help in innovation and all these things. Uh, I'm always, I was always really interested in material. So I hope I can, uh, yeah, help to, to share my experience with them and uh, hopefully I still keep my power in the legs that I can test in a, in a good way let's see. Fantastic stuff. Well, uh, Andre, I'll leave you to um, the rest of your day. It's been a real pleasure and hopefully our paths will cross in the future. But for now, it's goodbye and, and thanks very much, mate. Yeah, thank you very much for having me. Great stuff. What a professional Andre continued to be right up to his final race. And I'm sure he'll continue to treat people the way he wants to be treated himself. And I've no doubt that this will lead to great onward success and maybe a role in the really low-rent art house King Kong movie in German. Thanks to Perry App Gwyneth for the podcast theme tune. And thanks to you for listening. Don't forget to like, subscribe and rate the pod. And why not recommend it to any German-English translation publishers who fancy translating Andre's book into English so I don't have to look up every single word in my pocket German-English dictionary. And finally, a massive thanks again to Mr. Andre Greipel for joining us on the podcast today. All the best to him, and I hope he enjoys a nice rest at the end of such an illustrious racing career. Cheers all, stay safe, and goodbye.